Let's understand the world a little better. With me is Dr. Paul Hansbury. He's a political analyst with a PhD from Oxford and the author of Belarus in Crisis. Today, we want to understand Belarus a little better. And with that, I want to dive right in and ask you, what do you think differentiates uh, Belarus from the other European countries? Mm -hmm. So I think uh, we can begin with the... Uh, perhaps the biggest cliche, which is that for a long, long time, uh, Belarus was described as the last dictatorship in uh, in Europe. Um, around 2011-2012, there were two English-language books published in on Belarus. Uh, one was called The Last Dictatorship in Europe, and the other was called Europe's Last Dictatorship. Um, and this kind of label uh just dogged belarus um every time it came up in the media um and um i mean actually today fewer people say that because uh they see other countries russia for example uh which is not viewed as a as a democracy um but since then belarus ironically has only shifted in a more uh, totalitarian direction um so, so that was the first, you know, and and, and that's, um, you know, so Belarus became very isolated in Europe and in at a time when Central and Eastern Europe, former uh, countries that were formerly part of the Soviet bloc, of, were democratizing. Uh, Belarus was a uh, was uh, autocratizing um, instead, um, and um, kind of in tow with that. Uh, the in 2005 uh, the US Secretary of State at the time Condoleezza Rice uh, famously uh, labeled Belarus an outpost of tyranny um, there were six states that she identified as outposts of tyranny um, North Korea Myanmar uh, Cuba Nic um, Iran Belarus and um, uh, Zimbabwe um, and in her view, these were states where you couldn't stand on the on the street and hand out a leaflet without uh, being arrested very quickly. Um, and you could you could uh, and and this was very much the case. You could see videos on social media um, of someone standing outside a, a metro station in in Minsk, the capital of Belarus, um, uh, handing out leaflets, and very quickly. Uh, a police van would pull up and someone would take them away. Um, so um, this Belarus has a very negative reputation and it has had for a long time. Um, and it's, you know, it's, that's very much set it apart from much from the rest of the rest of Europe. Um, and as well, um, it's the only country in Europe that retains and uses the death penalty. Um We'll discuss the significance of the year 2020 a little bit later, um, I think. Um, but um, the, uh, although there's a lot of secrecy around numbers being executed, um, up until 2020, there were you, you had a, at least a single digit uh, number of people being executed for um, for certain crimes, uh, murder, um, and um, uh, terror or terrorism. More recently, the legal code has been changed so that there are more things that people that capital punishment uh, can be used for. Um, so these are very negative things. Um, so I should say that Belarus is also a very uh, beautiful forested country, and um, you know, it, like every country in Europe, it, it is unique. Um, and I started this answer with a cliche, another cliche, but. Um, you know, I have genuinely found in the past that Belarusians are very hospitable and welcoming people. Um, and you know, it's a country that very few uh, Western Europeans um, have travelled to. It's today very difficult to travel to Belarus. Um, and against, uh, well, I know in the UK it's against my country's uh, travel advice. It's, um, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very unlike any country in Europe. Um, I think any country expert will say that about the country they know about, but I think in the case of Belarus, <laughs> it's genuinely the case. 
So why has Belarus de uh, developed so differently uh, in a less democratic way? Mm. Um, so I guess to answer that, we have to go back to the end of the the Soviet era. Um, the the Soviet Union's fate was actually sealed formally in Belarus. Um, in December 1991, the leaders of the Russian, Belarusian and Ukrainian Soviet Socialist Republics met at a, a dacha, a summer house, in the Belovezhia forest, uh, it, it, uh, which is in what is today Belarus. And they signed uh, the Belovezhia Accords, which were the, the document where they... Uh, said that they were uh, their own independent republics. Um, and once Ru the leader of the Russian Soviet Socialist Republic had said that, uh, that meant the Soviet Union was um, effectively ended. Um, so this was, this was the leader of Russia, uh, but not the leader of the Soviet Union. So you had uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, who was in charge of the Soviet Union, but Boris Yeltsin, who was the president of the, of the Russian Soviet Socialist Republic. Um, and so in terms of, the, you get a, a few years of, uh, a couple of years where uh, politics in newly independent Belarus is, is uh, uncertain. It's not clear quite where Belarus is going. And there was a chance that Belarus would have democratized. There was a proliferation of political parties, for example, in the early 90s. Um, but I suppose to understand what happened since then, um, the first thing to think about is how uh, um, Alexander Lukashenko, who was elected uh, in 1994, how he set about consolidating power in his own hands. Um, so he comes to power in 1994. Um, this is an individual who um, is little known in Belarus at the time. Um, most Belarusians don't know who he is. Uh, he'd had a stint working as a, a teaching. He had been the director of State Farm. Um, this is where in the kind of more popular rhetoric of media analysis. Uh, Mr. Lukashenko is described as, a, as having been a, a pig farmer. Um, so he, 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 and he, and he goes into politics. Um, and then in 1994, he is put in charge um, of leading an, uh, a, a corruption investigation. Um, and this becomes his stepping stone into power in a way. Um, it's a way that he's able to impress both the uh, both Belarusian citizens at large and also win over uh, deputies in what, um, I mean, it's not exactly a parliament, but the equivalent of the parliament of the day. Um, so he, he conducts this investigation into corruption, presenting himself as a clean, um, uncorrupt figure, something that he has played on ever since. Um, he, um, though it's, you know, a few people would agree that it is the case, um, he, he, um, and he presents this corruption investigation um, to the, the equivalent of the parliament, um, and it's broadcast live on on television, so people see him as this fighter against corruption. And uh, the deputies sitting in the chamber, um, he doesn't actually reveal anything nasty um, about them. Um, so, presuming that there was a, um, a significant amount of corruption in Belarus in the early nineties, which is uh, a reasonable assumption. Uh, these deputies are quite uh, quite relieved that he hasn't um, sort of brought their skeletons out of the closet. So he then wins the election, and it's generally accepted that that was a, a free election. Um, and then he uses a series of referendums and presidential 
edicts, de- uh, decrees to centralize power in his own um, hands, um, and um, and so he yeah, he sets about building what becomes a highly highly centralized state. Um, the the president's administration is politically uh, where the action is. I mean that's the most important organ by by far. It's very small. Incidentally, we're not talking about something with thousands and thousands of employees. Um, we're talking about a small uh, hub of power, and power is concentrated in there. So he goes about uh, concentrating power, replacing the this uh, kind of parliamentary equivalent with a, uh, a pocket parliament, something that is there to endorse his his decisions, but doesn't really have any power of its own. He um, he, there's a collection of security agencies which are um, very powerful. It's in this highly securitized state. Uh, most notoriously, at least by name, is the KGB. So Belarus post independence doesn't change the name of the um, the um, Committee for State Security that had existed in Soviet times. But it's a separate organization, or is it still the same? Uh, well, it's still the same organization, though it will have broke. So within the Soviet Union, there will have been a, the the local branch, I suppose, of the KGB, and so that became uh, that kept its name. And so in other Soviet republics, these things still uh, were but renamed. With oversight from Russia. Sorry, with oversight from Russia. Oh no! Well, <laughs> that's an interesting question. Um, so it was generally it's generally thought that in the 90s the KGB did maintain retain very strong links to its counterparts in Russia i suppose what is significant is that in russia at this time the uh security apparatus is being uh breaks into is broken into some separate parts of its own um and to the change in russia perhaps breaks some of those links with time um it's yeah. This is uh, it's hard to say for sure the extent of ties between the two, the two security agencies, but they do work together certainly. Um, and also on on this sort of consolidation of power, he goes about this quite ruthlessly, but also sometimes violently. Um, in 1999, um, a number of opponents uh, of Lukashenko uh, disappear. Um, presumed murdered, um, and this is in fact something that has been in the news again, uh, the world news again, just very recently. At the end of September, um, there was a trial taking place in Switzerland of uh, a Belarusian who claims to have been a member of the uh, a state Belarusian state uh, death squad. Um, and he has conf- confessed to being involved in the uh, murders of some of these prominent opponents of Mr. Lukashenko. Um, in a slightly bizarrely, he has been acquit- He was acquitted by the court, um, which has raised some eyebrows, um, certainly, but. Um, so, yeah, the, the Lukashenko also used these kind of more brutal methods, um, and and then this is obviously very very murky. Um, all the while, Lukashenko is uh, de facto has power in Belarus. Then um, it's going to be hard to get at the truth of what happened in 1999 to these people. Um, and then um, perhaps. I, I can say a couple of things about what has happened more recently in Belarus, which because Belarus, um, yeah, um, one, one question though, uh, how did he come to power? Um, so uh, he was elected in 1994. There was a there was an election, so he'd headed this corruption investigation, um, and this was in the run up to the election. So um, people do vote democratic, and, and it's, okay. yeah, it's generally accepted that that election was. Um, was was a free election 
Um, there have been five elections since, uh, none of which have been um, rated as fair, free or fair by Western observers. Um, usually there are observers from Belarus's allies uh, who are on hand to uh, give their endorsement of the process, but um, but they are not free or fair. Do you know um, how that um, gets measured? By what metrics? Uh, if foreigners uh, look at that, how how do they uh, judge? Well, there have been observers watching the counting process, for example. Um, the what election observers sometimes say is that they're not. Although they are allowed into the room where the counting takes place, they are often put quite a long way from the count. Um, you can do. Uh, there is a sort of election forensics that you can, you know, quantitative crunching of numbers that you can do. Um, that tends to be done more in the case of Russia than in Belarus. Um, but I don't. Um, I mean, Lukashenko, in six elections, he has claimed that between 80 and 85 percent of the population have voted for him uh, in every election. Now, uh, no kind of pub public opinion polling has shown anything like that level of support for him. Um, I would say that in the early years, he did have um, a level of popularity. Um, he there was a kind of social contract that he provided a, a basic level of uh, social. The state supplied supplied a certain level of social support and welfare for um, for its people, maintained a certain level of living, and in return, uh, people didn't have an involvement or a say in the political process. Um, so, I mean, yeah, the. I mean, even Lukashenko himself has joked about the fairness of elections. Um, it's you know, they're there as a facade for um, to create, the, convey an impression of legitimacy in the first instance. They, um, you know, he he joked on one occasion that uh, they had to massage the numbers down because he's so popular. Um, but yeah, this is <laughs> uh, really even his supporters will will. Uh, acknowledge that the votes are not <laughs> exactly a, uh, a, a fair process. Um, how, how does that, um, when, when the public hears something like that, how do they react to that or how do they feel about that? Um, or do they just take it as a joke? Uh, yeah, I think... Uh, well, I. Well, it's hard to say. I mean, it depends. I mean, obviously, a lot of you know, a lot of people were vehemently opposed to Mr. Lukashenko, and uh, they probably would ignore such comments. Um, people who are more inclined to support him um, probably enjoy it, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's okay. it's hard to say. Um, Well, then to uh, get to more current events, I think there was something you wanted to say when I interrupted mm. you. Yeah, so uh, so then Belarus really came into the news in in 2020 when we had mass. We saw there were, there were mass protests um, against the uh, well against the election result actually. Um, but perhaps to understand what happened in 2020, we could begin with the COVID uh, pandemic. Um, So that, uh, as the 19, as the 2010s wore on, the economic situation in Belarus was becoming um, increasingly difficult. Um, and when the pandemic hit, the state didn't take any countermeasures, so there were no uh, there were no state mandated lockdowns or um, isolation requirements. Um, um, or anything that we saw in most of Europe. Um, if, for example, the the Belarusian Football League kept on playing, so 
um, yeah, it, suddenly there were, I guess, the Belarusian Football League found some new fans because if you were used to watching Bayern Munich, um, and well, suddenly you, you couldn't, so perhaps you'd be streaming uh, a football match watching Dinamo Minsk. Um, and Lukashenko said that people should, uh, to protect themselves from this virus, uh, people should drink vodka and go to the sauna. Um, but the flip side of the lack of state response to what were to the pandemic um, at a time when people were Belarusians were falling ill um, was that there was a degree of self-organization. People started crowdfunding um, to be able to provide medical aid to their friends and family and neighbors. Um, and so you had this self-organization. Now, this is happening in the spring and summer of 2020, and there's an elect a presidential election coming up in um, at the end of the summer um, in August. And um, so, and, and, and again, perhaps ironically, because there haven't been these lockdowns, um, people start protesting about, uh, through the summer. Uh, people are taking to the streets. Um, and um, a number of challenges to Lukashenko um, emerge um, trying to wanting to stand in in the election, and these are not coming from the traditional opposition. Um, there's uh, some people that who have previously worked uh, as part of the state, um, and uh, they're trying to push themselves as a, as presidential candidates. So the state turns against them. They arrests them uh, puts them in prison um, but Lukashenko does allow uh, an opponent onto the onto the ballot paper uh, which is uh, a lady called Svetlana Tihonovskaya um, now she initially didn't intend to stand in the election it was actually her husband Sergei who wanted to uh, be on the ballot paper, but because he was arrested and put in prison and then he was not allowed to stand, his wife so I put her right name down instead. Um, and um, the election goes ahead. Um, supporters of Svetlana Tihonovskaya claim that she won the election. Uh, supporters of Lukashenko inevitably claim the opposite. The official result um is that 81% of people voted for Lukashenko, and uh, I think it was 10 or 11%, according to the official results, voted for Tihonovskaya. Um, but no one seriously believes that this was the result, given the scare, the protests on the streets that had already been building through the summer. Um, and so now we get post-election, we see even bigger protests. And so we get perhaps... 300,000 people on some weekends taking to the streets. Now, for context, Belarus has a population of fewer than 10 million to begin with, so or just under 10 million. Um, so you can see that you've got a phenomenal number of people taking to the streets. Um, you know, these are by far and away the biggest protests in Belarus's history. Um, and... And a lot of Western media buy into this idea that Lukashenko is about to be toppled. He, um, but he isn't. Uh, he relies on Russia for a lot of support. Um, Russia sends kind of security advisors into uh, to Minsk to to give some help. Uh, it because it even sends kind of media staffing because a lot of. Um, state media employees go on strike um you have you and the protests clearly reach some kind of critical mass because people that you wouldn't have expect one wouldn't have expected to see protesting in the past suddenly down their work tools take to the streets and so yeah at one point state tv is having to broadcast an empty studio because it doesn't have any staff 
Um, so real problems. Um, and so the state cracks down very hard on the protesters. Um, the opposition at this point uh, are either arrested or they leave the country. So uh, Svetlana Tihanovskaya, um, who was on the ballot paper, she goes to Lithuania, where she's been based ever since. Um, and um, no, well, no EU state, uh, the UK, the US as well, uh, none of no Western state recognizes the um, result of the election. Um, and, um, or the legitimacy of Mr. Lukashenko. Um, and you know, this kind of crackdown against any sign of dissent has continued in the three years since then. Um, and then perhaps the other really significant thing to note is that in February last year, when Russia launched its large-scale invasion of Ukraine, the um, one prong of that invasion um, was launched from Belarusian territory. Um, so Russian troops had gathered in Belarus um, supposedly for military drills, um, but they were, in fact, there as part of an invasion force. Um, and so although Belarus has not sent its its own troops into Ukraine, it's been, uh, it's been implicated in, the, in Russia's war effort from, uh, from the beginning. Um, do you think that will change? Uh, not not the not the military part, but um, the the reign of Lukashenko. Do you think that will change uh, in the future? And how is there? Do you see a way how um, how the elections um, can can turn out differently in the future? Um, well, the I it's not going to be about elections. I think. Um, I mean, I would say that um, you know, Lukashenko is a 69-year-old uh, man. He um, He's not going to be around forever. Um, you know, it may be that if he is not ousted through political events, that nature will take its course sooner or later. He's not... He's not someone who has decades to live in him. Um, so change will come to Belarus. Um, earlier this year, there was a, um, a suggestion that he had a serious health condition. Um, it was He was not seen in public for a number of days. Um, and as usually happens with dictators, when they're not in the public eye, um, rumours... Um, Uh, proliferate um, but perhaps well unfortunately for him this coincided with um, this illness coincided with when uh, with the Victory Day um, parades on 9th of May when, uh, when in the uh, Russia and Belarus uh, which built its recent identity on the Second World War, um, defeat of, uh, not of fascism, the um, Putin wanted Mr. Lukashenko to go to Moscow for the Victory Day parade. Now, Lukashenko went, um, but he was clearly very unwell. Um, he uh, So with all these TV cameras on him, he was unable even to walk across Red Square as part of the ceremonies um, he needed a buggy to come and load him into it and drive him um, a matter of yards um, so he was clearly clearly very unwell um, and um, this you know, uh, rumors you can imagine what social media was like with rumors um, and he wasn't seen for a number of days now it does seem though that he has recovered from From that, um, he looks to be in good health, but he is fairly obviously overweight. 
Um, I don't think that he's leading a super healthy lifestyle. So um, his days are numbered. Um, in that respect, um, I, you know, so the question is what happens when he goes? Will he be able to pass power on to an anointed successor? Um, he might. Uh, it might be that Belarus has a, a new kind of version of Lukashenko. Um, but in any case, the opposition will see this as, a, as an opportunity uh, that any kind of transfer of power um, is, a, is a moment to try to seize the initiative. Um, so, yeah, um, your change will will come whether or not it's change of the kind people want um you know i can't i can't see the future unfortunately in the short term it's hard to see any positive change in belarus but um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um you mentioned the the kgb other than that how independent would you say is uh belarus from russia um currently mm. So um, this is kind of you know, the million-dollar question in a way. Um, to, to, to stay in power after 2020, uh, Russia's support for Mr. Lukashenko was crucial. Uh, what so the question that none of us can really answer is what concessions did he make in return for that support? Um, Legally, Belarus is a separate state. Uh, it's recognized by other states as an as an independent entity. But in to answer your question, we might think about domestic policy and foreign policy separately. So in domestic policy, um, you know, Lukashenko is clearly making the decisions about what happens in Belarus. Um, uh, but it may be that he's doing that at Uh, Vladimir Putin's indulgence, um, that if he did something that Putin really was unhappy with, then Putin might step in. And, um, um, and you know, it's sort of this popular idea that, um, that Russia might annex Belarus formally. Um, there certainly has been a kind of creeping um, annexation in the extent that Russia's powers have got greater and greater. Um, but Belarus is not, um, I mean, in its domestic policy, Belarus is making, uh, Lukashenko is making decisions. Um, but this is being eaten away at. And, um, you know, through a series of agreements with Russia, which we, it's a lot of which is not known publicly. Um, a sort of boring but important detail, um, I suppose, is, I heard someone say recently that um, Belarus had um, traded away its fiscal sovereignty. So the two states have signed agreements on tax regime harmonization. Well, if you think that even within the European Union, um, the idea of common taxation is highly resisted, um, it shows you that The, the level of integration is prospectively kind of well well beyond Interesting. where um, um but um so while the a lot in the opposition would like to and in kind of some western media would like to say that belarus is belarusians are living under a sort of russian occupation regime uh, with lukashenko as a as a, a puppet of Mr. Putin, I think it probably, that probably isn't quite the, quite the case. Um, I think Mr. Lukashenko is trying quite hard to maintain some independence from Russia. Uh, he has fewer and fewer uh, mechanisms for demonstrating that. Um, but in domestic policy, yes. Um, if we think about foreign policy, then it's a bit harder, I suppose, to see Belarus as operating freely. Um, you know, I, I would, you know, looking at the invasion of Ukraine, 
last February. Did Lukashenko know that his country was about to be implicated in the invasion of Ukraine? Um, I don't know for sure, um, but it's... uh, And and people say a lot of different things on this. Um, On the one hand, it's hard to believe that with all those troops on his border, he didn't know it was about to happen. Um, But I think it is genuinely possible that that Putin didn't tell him what the plans were. Um, And that sort of shows how little um, autonomy Belarus has in in international affairs. Um, How was the invasion portrayed in Belarusian media? um, So... I think state media didn't really um, cover Belarus's involvement, particularly the state. So the media environment in Belarus is um, uh, quite different to anywhere else in Europe. It's the state media dominates, um, and um, yeah, they, they do on the war. They largely report sort of Rus- Russian positions. Um, it's really an extension of, of Russia's arguments. Um, so um, I think yeah, of course some Belarusians are getting informa- get information from elsewhere, um, but there's no real independent. I mean, the independent media has been driven out of the country or liquidated. Um, so um, it's yeah, it, it's very hard to know what Belarusians think because it's very hard to get accurate polling. Um, I think you know, there's an element of, you know, there is an element of fear um, among the population. People know that they shouldn't speak out against uh, Mr. Lukashenko. Um, but I think that he does also still retain a core of supporters. Um, and I think because um, Russian, so Russian media does have more or less unbridled access into Belarus as well. So a lot of people are getting information from Russian media. So they will see um, the invasion through that lens. Um, Uh, next to Russia, what other allies does um, Belarus have? Mm, um, Pretty similar to Russia, right? Yeah, I mean, so f- for Lukashenko, uh, Russia is undoubtedly the most important ally he has. Um, you know, I say for Lukashenko to distinguish him from the Belarusian people, um, but he's relied heavily on Russia for support. And in the past, he has been quite skilled at manipulating that relationship. Um, In addition to Russia, uh, Lukashenko has pushed hard on the idea of having good relations with China. Now, um, a decade ago, China uh, launched its Belt and Road Initiative, which is this kind of huge infrastructure project for um, trading into Uh, Europe and Africa from China. Um, And Belarus tried to present itself as a a gateway into Europe to the Chinese to say, use us as your doorway into into Europe. Um, Now, after 2020, the EU, uh, the UK, the US, uh, whacked very heavy sanctions on the Belarusian regime. Um, The borders are not entirely closed, but there are very few crossing points um, today. Um, And so it's very hard to see what China actually gets out of the relationship uh, right now. Um, um, But Mr. Mr. Lukashenko did go to China earlier this year, um, and um, China has invested um, a significant amount of money into Belarus. Um, so you've got Russia, you've got China. You then get an array of relationships that defy common sense in respect of geography. 
Um, so, you know, one that has featured this year has been Zimbabwe. Um, Lukashenko's regime has been talking up this idea of developing relations with Zimbabwe. Well, um, it's not an obvious trade partner, you know, a small state, a medium-sized state in Eastern Europe and a state in the sort of southern half of Africa. Um, the yeah, There are logistical problems of trading with one another. Um, in the past, when Hugo Chavez was Venezuela's president, um, Lukashenko built a... Uh, a good relationship with Chavez. Um, again, geography suggests that this isn't the most obvious relationship to cultivate. Um, and yeah, generally, Does that mean Lukashenko doesn't really have other options. Many other options. Yeah, he has no real options. That's um, yeah, he is associating with the outcast states in today's world: uh, Iran, um, Nicaragua. Um, yeah, so just recently, um, North Korea's leader Kim Jong un was in the far east of Russia, um, met with Vladimir Putin, um, and then shortly after, Mr. Lukashenko was making statements to the media about how there could be a, a great trilateral relationship between Belarus, Russia, and North Korea. Um, so it's yeah, these are not kind of. Um, yeah, Belarus has very few allies. Um, you know, when you look at a vote in the UN General Assembly on anything concerning the war in Ukraine, Belarus is among those kind of handful of states that vote with with Russia. Um, Syria would be another one, um, and these are these are Belarus's allies um, today. With those, what what does Belarus um, actually trade? Uh, what export goods mm. do they have? Yeah, so um, there are a few um, key things that Belarus does. Um, one is it has two huge oil refineries, um, and it um, this has, was for a long time a pillar of the economy was to take so it doesn't have any oil of its own but um it would often be cheaper for oil, russian oil companies to refine uh, the crude oil closer to the markets which the key markets would be in europe so rather than refining oil at refineries in siberia um some of the big russian oil companies would ship the oil to belarus for refining and um onward sale um now, Belarus exploited this relation, this the oil relationship with Russia, um, because it's in a customs union with Russia. It was able to um, import the oil without paying um, import duties, and then re-export it at a markup. Um, and so, for a long time, this was a pillar of the of the the regime's economy. Um, though more recently, Russia has revised the terms um, for Belarus and um, its Belarus's ability to benefit from oil refining has reduced significantly. Um, and Russia is exactly. Russian has sort of got its hands on the oil refineries as well. Um, the other big one, I suppose, is potash. Um, which is used for fertilizers. Um, so mm. after Canada, um, Belarus is, is a global leader in potash mining. Um, and uh, perhaps fairly obviously, when after 2020, the EU um, and EU allies imposed sanctions on Belarus, they very quickly went after the um, the potash trade. Uh, now, actually, there were a lot of loopholes. Um, the sanctions weren't as severe as um, people in Brussels would like us to think. Um, but um, it's become a, it become harder. Um, however, um, Belarus is still able to sell potash to India and to China, which are, were always its largest clients. Um, and um, 
high prices um, on global markets over the past couple of years have sustained um, the economic benefits of that trade for Belarus. Um, so we've got oil refining, we've got potash fertilizers. Um, there's a lot of heavy industry, steel industry, uh, heavy goods vehicles uh, manufactured in Belarus, um, and also things like buses, um, trams, um, tractors. Has been was that's a big one that goes back to the Soviet era. Belarus produced a, a tractor um, which still sells well across the um, former Soviet Union. Um, so, yeah, a lot of industry. Um, there's, of course, there's agri- some agricultural. Um, and one thing that got a lot of attention in the years leading up to 2020 was its blossoming IT sector. Um, there's some, a lot of Belarusian IT entrepreneurs. Um, now, I'm not sure that um, the state um, under Lukashenko understood fully the benefits of that industry. I'm not entirely sure that um, that its contribution to GDP was quite as um, promising as some thought. But in any case, after 2020, that industry has been just decimated. A lot of the IT specialists have left the country. Um, they were heavily involved in the protest movement in 2020, um, which... Um, if you remember, I said that um, things like crowdfunding initiatives were quite important in dealing with COVID. So they came to the fore in the protests. And a lot of this self-organization used um, kind of messaging apps, things that were secret from the um, from the authorities, helped people to organize. Um, and because Belarus has some strong IT skill uh, workers, um, it really did have a quite secure sets of communications among the protesters, um, but many of those people, because they were supporting the opposition, they had to, they they left the country, um, and so today um, there is still an IT industry in Belarus, but it's 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 not what it was. And pre twenty twenty, it had uh, it was given things like tax breaks. Um, a lot of those things have been um, taken away from it, so it's it's no longer. Uh, has the bright future that many hoped for it. I would now like to go over to your uh, work as a political political analyst a bit. And um, what would you say now in terms of Belarusia? That's your um, expertise uh, area. Um, what would you say are the best uh, sources um, to learn and inform oneself about uh Belarusia, so meaning news uh, sites, but also to get a basic understanding. I mean, this podcast now, your book, um, <laughs> other than that, um, yeah. what um, would you recommend? I mean, undoubtedly for, um, undoubtedly to know about a country and country experience is invaluable. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it's now very hard to travel to Belarus. Um, the, um for someone that comes at the country without much knowledge, then they should, um, of course, read what they what they can about the country, um, including, yeah, yeah, hopefully, some of the some listeners will buy my book um, and listen to the podcast. Um, and there are a few books. Um, in terms of, I suppose it's also so read local media if you can. Obviously, that requires language skills. Um, though there's a lot of. Um, Belarusian media will have any certainly online will have English language versions, um, and although there is a lot of propaganda in state media, I think someone wanting to understand the country should still be reading state media. Um, so the the main newspapers and the state news agencies. Uh, has Can you a, give a name? What uh, what's the Belta biggest newspaper for? Is the Belta. 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 B e l t a. This is the Belarusian Telegraph Agency. Um, so 
one should be looking at those um, and getting onto relevant mailing lists. And there are a few that cover Belarus. Um, Radio Free Europe has one, for example. Um, and I guess trying to talk to Belarusians. Um, there's, you know, it's, you, you know, I'm not always the best at talking to people, um, but you need to talk to people you agree with and people you disagree with and hear different views. Go talk to people, you know, approach people with an open mind, but at the same time be <laughs> critical because people do have agendas. Um, and yeah, um, gradually building up your knowledge. I mean, I think for a country like Belarus, there's given that there is a low level of expertise to begin with i think if you read anyone that reads uh, a book or two will already have an advantage and know a lot more than most non-belarusians about the country so is it something what your day-to-day -day looks like as well uh, talking with people reading the news um understanding the connections um yeah or what what else what yeah what does your day-to-day -day look like so I'm very much a routine-oriented person. Um, I thrive on routines. Um, I like that. Me too. So, <laughs> the um, you know, I my day usually begins in the same way. I have a cup of strong coffee and I read the newspapers or you know, read a newspaper first of all and look, catch up on the news. Um, and that's very important to me. Um, and you know, I mean the news in the broad sense, not not just about Belarus, but um, read a newspaper properly um, and because writing is very important to me I'm trying to write uh, another book at the moment um, I will spend a couple of hours in the morning writing um, I have a, a daily word target um, of a thousand words a day um, and um, I don't always hit it um, Please don't ask me how this week is going. <laughs> um, but um, that's my my goal. Um, trying to so I try to ring fence some time to do that. Um, and come midday, I will usually go for a run, um, and then I will try to ring fence some time in the afternoon um, to do some reading. Um, but of course, there are interruptions and annoyances, and depending on. Uh, other things that I might need to be doing um, because I do do some teaching for example and various things that I'm involved with mean that this template of my kind of typical day is uh, oftener than not no no probably not oftener than not but is often um, uh, disrupted <laughs> but um, but yeah that's my kind of my day involves um, mm. No, no. Uh, the last question I would have is, um, if I or if you if you were to start analyzing a new country, specializing on let's say, let's say Zimbabwe for example, mm -hmm. let's say you knew nothing about that country or almost nothing, um, how would you start? Where would you start? What would your process look like? Mm. So, <laughs> it's actually maybe fortuitous that you pick Zimbabwe. I. So when earlier this year, uh, Belarus and Zimbabwe were sort of talking up their relationship, um, one of the first things I did was I followed a couple of uh, Zimbabwean journalists on social media, um, kind of independent journalists, um, which was actually a really helpful thing to do because I saw that the way they were reporting um, a certain trade deal, they'd a trade agreement, uh, piece of trade with Belarus was very different to how Belarus was reporting it. So, I mean, both people in both on both sides were <laughs> quite negative and a bit perplexed by this, uh, by arrangement. I think it was involved sale. It may have been the sale of tractors. I, I, I forget. But um, yeah, the Zimbabwean media were criticizing their government for overpaying, saying, look how... Uh, much more we've paid than Kyrgyzstan paid for the same tractors. Um, and in the Belarusian kind of audience were just a little aghast that they would be trying to establish relations with Zimbabwe so far away. Um, 
but actually, yeah, your question is, you know, what would I do? I'd do the same things that I said for someone about Belarus. It, read as much as I can and as widely as I can on the topic, on the on the country. Um, try to talk to people. Um, you know, again, I'm I'm not the best at kind of getting in touch with people I don't know. But if you're more confident than me, then you should be doing. Someone should be doing that um, because you can learn a lot from talking to people. Um, it, not just people from the country, um, but also people engaging with the country in various contexts. Um, you know, that gives a lot of different angles to come at something. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess if I were trying to learn about Zimbabwe, I would probably, if I had the the means, I would, I would probably go there. Um, um, if you can it's really get the experience yeah it makes sense um before we get into the last segment which would be a few rapid fire questions um let me ask you is there anything i should have asked you that i didn't or anything that you still want to say um no i mean i think you know i suppose i could perhaps just sum up that where belarus is today you have uh someone who de facto is president, even if many people don't recognize him as such. Um, and the, you know, the country, the situation in the country is, has got only got worse since 2020. You've got, uh, you've got 1500 people that are labeled political prisoners. Now, of course, political prisoner is a, a designation that we can, uh, that can sometimes be a bit vague, but um, you've got a lot of people sitting in jail in, in Belarus. So it's the human rights situation there is very bad. Um, there is an opposition that is outside of the country. There is very, very little in terms of opposition inside the country. Um, so yeah, the country does need, um, does need uh, more resources and attention Uh, given to it by outsiders than it is getting, um, particularly arts in, in the context of the war in Ukraine. Um, a lot of people have kind of forgotten about Belarus. Um, it's, a, you know, it's a fascinating country and um, it's it should be on our radars. Then on to the rapid fire questions. Um, I would ask you to please answer them with two or three sentences roundabout. And um, yeah, I will just I will start. Okay. If you had a big poster, everybody would see it. It's um, in the middle of the city. Everybody could see it. What would you put on it? What would you write on it? Uh, nothing. 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 That's an interesting <laughs> answer. <laughs> so nothing is a word, or you put would put nothing no, on it. Just nothing. <laughs> okay, that's uh, interesting. I like that. Um, do you have a favorite quote? Um, there's lots of quotes. I like, um, our doubts are traitors, um, and make us lose the good we off might win by fearing to attempt. It's from Shakespeare, um, measure for measure. Um, I think, mm. you know, so have courage in other words. A controversial opinion. I believe what nobody else does. Oh, I think I hold many unfashionable um, <laughs> opinions uh, that get me into trouble. Uh, but I suppose I'll answer it in respect of Belarus. I'm not sure if that's your intention, but I suppose the fact that I don't really think anyone won the election in 2020, um, that's controversial because people who support Mr. Lukashenko will insist that he won and people who support the opposition insist that Tsihanovskaya won. Um, I expect that nobody actually got a majority in the vote. What would you have liked to known uh, when you started mm. your journey so as think, a political analyst? Yeah, so I, I mean, when you take on any project, I think you are best placed to begin when you get to the end, um, that's a sort of rule of life. You know, the, the best, I'm best placed to write a book about Belarus now that I've already written one. Um, it's the process of doing it that you learn what you need to know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, 
so in fact you know um i'm pragmatic and um it's best not to kind of want to rewrite the past etc etc so i I, yeah i'm not going to say that there's anything i wish i knew but you know i always wish that i knew more okay um what's your newest biggest insight Mm. um whether it's a big insight i don't know and even whether it's new but i suppose something that has been really as bugging me a bit recently or playing on my mind is just how what people say in public is often really really different to what they say in private um and you know this plays out in different ways um you know, the way people's opinions on in social media can often be very different from what they say um in a private conversation um and it's something that's been on i've been thinking about and has perhaps colored some of my some of my analysis more recently how would you spend 10 billion dollars to make belarus a better place yeah well you know i have absolutely no idea what 10 10 billion dollars could buy um i expect i would um delegate the responsibility to um some responsible belarusians um yeah okay not a great answer but <laughs> it's an it's an respectable answer it's humble I like it. um what do you think of lukachenko uh well i think his days are numbered um you know to stay in power for nearly three decades now um requires some um something more than luck alone although he has actually re- had a certain amount of luck coming I mean, one just one ex- quick example of well in after the elections in 2001 which were on uh 9th of September um you know when western uh politicians were start were just looking at what happened in Belarus and were about to kind of draw some attention and criticize what had happened you know, something happened in New York that completely took away um any attention on uh, uh on the protests in in Belarus um but yeah i mean so he uh we're we're really just waiting for what comes next in terms of kind of what i think of him i think he's no no longer a legitimate leader of of Belarus what in your opinion or how would you measure how would you measure the performance of a prime minister or of a president hmm. um having watched british politics for <laughs> too long i think avoiding kind of scandals and uh, <laughs> is uh um is a key thing um can you quantify honesty i don't know um but yeah it's it's hard i mean obviously there are so many ways you could answer the question you could answer it economically rather than politically you could answer it um in terms of public opinion um but i think you know actually someone that does the job and avoids scandal is a good starting place Okay, you kind of answered the question already, but who do you think will win the next Belarusian um, elections? Um, yeah, well, so Belarus has uh, parliamentary elections in 2024, um, and then it constitutionally should have a, par- a presidential election the following year. Um, well, since there are now no oppositional parties left in Belarus, they've all been liquidated. Um, it's a bit of a there isn't much to predict um there are four um pro regime parties basically um there will be some balance between them um nominally you know, one's on the left one's on the right or two are in the center um you know they'll probably end up with an even split um and in terms of the presidential election well it won't be free it won't be fair I predict confidently that if Lukashenko is still there, that he will claim to have got 84% of the vote. 
Okay. Well, uh, thank you very much, Paul Hensbury. Um, if you want to know more about his insights, about his ideas of uh, Belarus, um, buy his book, Belarus in Crisis. Um, thank you very much for uh, being here. And um, yeah, is there anything else you want to say? You want to add? No, thank, thank you for um, something to promote. Talking to me, and good luck with the uh, good luck with the 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 podcast. Uh, well, I have my book to promote. You can. <laughs> Now we can Please see. Please buy it. <laughs> I need to sell some more copies. <laughs> Great.